0: In the midst of this, weekend, we can we could share so many stories of the things that God is doing throughout the world through the ministry of this church and the people from this congregation, and it's literally we are reaching in so many places. And was hard as we talk about this weekend, what we're going to share, and then part what is Mark's heart to have the churches in a city working together for the kingdom of God. In April of last year, we received an email from uh, the Outreach Foundation inviting us to be part of a, a mission trip to Haiti just after the earthquake to see how can we, could, we could come alongside with the partners and churches in Haiti to make a difference. In this last year, uh, five churches in L.A. have sent more than 100 people Together, combined, churches working together with our partners in Haiti to rebuild a church in that place. And among all the stories that we could share, we brought this one to share with you today.
1: things that I would talk a week about going to Haiti and what what the event meant to me and how it's changed my life and all the things that we did and the extraordinary experiences that we have.
2: It took a while, a lot of prayer, uh, a lot of prayer from friends, a lot of contemplating, realizing that uh, I was 66 at the time, now 67, would probably be the oldest. I was planning
1: another trip. I was going somewhere else on vacation with my sister, and God was like, no, I'm going to talk to you about Haiti.
2: I had some discouragement from some of my friends saying, why would you go to Haiti? And why would you pay to go on a trip to help people? And other various questions like that. What, what am I going to be doing? I don't do manual
1: labor. <laughs> it's going to be hot. There's going to be bugs. Um, but what do you want me to do,
2: God? So I prayed about it. I had encouragement. I had God's grace and encouragement from members here at Bel Air and made the decision to, to go Of which I have no regrets.
1: Through the next couple of weeks, it was God stripping down all of my expectations, all of the notions of why I was going, and just Kind of leaving me as an open vessel of, let me tell you, let me show you what I want you to do. Let me show you the good things I have in store for you. Go with no expectations, clear your mind, clear your heart, and just be there to love.
2: I think we adjusted, and each night we sat around uh, our group of 15 and um we thank the Lord for the blessings uh, that we had received that day we shared experiences about learning to get to know each other better and we became a, just a, a, a terrific group
1: we, we were digging trenches, we were carrying stone, we were mixing concrete by hand and yet we were singing and we were praising God and we were working with um, the Haitian builders And it took four languages to build a wall in Haiti. It took Creole, French, Spanish, and English. We didn't need our translators because between our group and the Haitians, we could, you know, grande, grande stone, piquito, piquito, so we understood
2: then seeing the impact that we made as small as it may be with such few people and such an immense task seeing the difference that we made we went into a tent city which they have never done before our partners took us in
1: we went into the tent city and we just stood there and we sang worship like little kids around us and people coming out of their tents and just they didn't understand but they knew we were singing to god
2: and it was amazing i walked away with one of the most significant experiences in my life and i am convinced that um that i had god's blessing to get me through that week and uh i'm sure you will too and i know there's lots of trips coming up next year that that are available i would encourage you all no matter what your age or physical shape to consider going on one
0: This experience and mission have changed our lives and make, has made us a better church in our discipleship, in our falling to Christ. I have the privilege this morning to introduce our guest speaker. His name is Hunter Farrell. And the first thing I want to talk about Hunter, that he was born in the great state of Texas. Is any Texans here? I really, I really thought that all the Texans will miss in church today, it's too cold for Texans today in California. But thanks for coming anyway. Hunter has been involved in global missions in his entire, entire ministry. He served in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where he was exposed to leadership development, evangelism, church planting, serving and helping to build the capacity of the church in, in, that, in that great country that we are now partnering with one of their churches in that region of the world. He and his wife Ruth was then sent as missionaries from our denomination to Peru, where they served for many years, empowering the church and fighting for social righteousness in that country, and bringing people to Christ and helping people to live better lives there. Hunter is now the director of world mission of our entire denomination. He is responsible with his team to recruit, train, and send missionaries and support them in different places around the world, to encourage them in their, in their work of Christ around the world. It's part of his job is also to build relationships with partners in the United States and all around the world. I know Hunter, I know that besides a great strategist, a great mind and leader in our denomination, he's a man of God, he follows Christ, his life and following Jesus and life of prayer and devotion to Christ, his commitment to live a simple life in this world and teach us by example is something that has been an inspiration for our own life. My brother, it's such a privilege and blessing for us to have you here uh, with us today to share with us the word of God that you challenge us to walk closer to him. Would you please welcome Hunter with us? Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Love you, brother. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we are, here we are. You are our teacher, our master, our redeemer. And this time, Lord, talk to us. Challenge us. Transform us. Bring us close to you. Thank you for your servant here with us. Use him for the sake of your kingdom and your glory. In Christ Jesus. And all God's people say, okay. Amen. Amen. Blessings.
3: Thank you, Enoki. And thank you, Bel Air Church, uh, Texans and Californians and everybody else. It's great to be with you. I see, I see the Texans. You give me the sign back there. <laughs> it is great to be here. It's great to be part of this family, this uh, people who've been welcomed into that incredible circle of family that is the Church of Jesus Christ around the world folks who look and talk a lot like me, and thousands of other ways of looking and talking and being together in the body of Christ. And yet all of that stands in a stark contrast to the way this world of ours wants to draw lines. Think of the lines that are drawn every day around you. Think of the property lines that tell even our two-year-olds what's mine and what's yours, right? Think of our national borders that are drawn to keep out the them from the us. Think about the other lines. In the Dallas, Texas that I grew up in, back in the 60s, there was a color line that told families where they could live and where they could not live if they were of a certain racial ethnic background. Think also of the, in certain cultures around the world, how uh, the way lines are drawn that keep people out and that determine your Uh, Marriage partner how much you can make uh, what you can do as a profession in your own life Think of those things that the world draws as lines to separate us one from another In the work that the Presbyterian Church USA sent my wife Ruth and me to do in Peru We got a very different sense of what it meant to be together with others we worked among primarily indigenous folks high up in the Andes Mountains of Peru in South America Quechua-speaking folks who speak a language that speaks the nuance of community. You see, English is a rich language, uh, as you know, but we only have one word for the first person plural pronoun, we. In Quechua there are two words, and I want to tell you about them. Because Quechua-speaking mothers, when they raise their kids, they say, child, what is it that you know that has not been given to you to know? By your parents? your community and your ancestors. So strong is that sense of community that that's how children are raised and you don't see two and three-year-olds in the Andes fighting over a toy saying that's mine because it's considered brash really really childish to say I or mine too often in a sentence. Well how does Quechua, Ket- works in an interesting way whereas we just have that one pronoun, that uh, first-person plural pronoun, we, in catch with their two words. There's nyohaku and nyohanchik nyohaku means, uh, I call it an exclusive we. It's when I say to uh, Mark, Mark, let's go for some Mexican food. Uh, see you two later. Well, I formed a kind of community with Mark, that's great, but at the exclusion of someone else. That's nyohaku nyohanchik is different. Nyohanchik includes speaker and hearer and everyone else who can hear that word and respond. That's nyohanchik. That's the we that 92% of the times you see the word we translated into the Quechua New Testament. In the mouth of Jesus, it's translated nyohanchik. It includes everybody. If I were gonna translate that into, the, into Texan, I'd call that the divine y'all come. It's the way that Jesus looks in your heart and sees everything you've ever done and says, still, come, step into the circle. Not because of your great merits or that winning smile or your income, but rather, because who I've created you to be and who I've forgiven you to be in me. Those are life-changing words. And we see that life change lived out in so many places around the world. It's It's the divine y'all come. Think about what Jesus was facing though as he stepped in with those life-giving words into first century Palestine, right? A society that was shaped around lines of division. The, Isra- Isra- the Israelites knew that they wouldn't have fellowship with Samaritans because they didn't worship God in the proper way. There were lines that divided all kinds of groups, and yet Jesus purposefully gathers them together. And who does he call together? Those wild and rambunctious kids who wouldn't be quiet, those sinful prostitutes, even the terrorists of that day, the zealots, all are invited through the voice of Jesus to come and be part of what God is doing today. So step into the circle. Listen to the divine, y'all come, and be, wha- be part of what God is doing today. Now the work the Presbyterian Ch- Church sent Ruth and me to do uh, was a challenging one. We lived in Lima, Peru, a city of 10 million people on the coast, and I would drive up about four hours into the mountains to the city of La Oroya, a city of about 35,000 people. If you talk to Peruvians, they'll describe it as the armpit of Peru. And they do that because there's a smelter there, a metal smelter. It produces a lot of the materials that you and I need. Your your cell phone, yeah. The lead that's in that is produced probably in La Arroya because they can produce an awful lot of lead. It's one of the largest lead smelters in the world. But we responded to a call to mothers and teachers and fathers in that community because in that that 35,000 people, there are 11,000 kids. And guess what? 97.2% 97.2% of them have lead poisoning. And you know something? If those kids lived in Los Angeles, a fourth of them would be hospitalized today because the lead levels are so high. Well, do the math. Every year that a child lives in La Arroyo, they lose between one and three IQ points of the intelligence that God alone gifted them with. Well, you got a kid or a grandkid in your life? Do the math. Well, my youngest, Andrew, was seven at the time. So I was thinking between seven and 21 IQ points from the, if he were average, and he's not average. But if he were average, (laughs) hey, he's Andrew. He's my kid. But that's how we feel about our kids, right? And so if you told me that someone was going to take away between seven and 21% of the intelligence that, that God gave him, I'd be fighting mad, and so enter onto my stage Yolanda Surita, Catholic lay worker. Her theology and mine didn't always jive, and she wasn't a mother in any sense of the biological sense of the word. She'd never birthed a child, and yet Yolanda, God bless her, knew something about the Gospel of Jesus Christ that I was only beginning to learn, because she understood that those kids. Well, those are her kids, darn it. And she's gonna live her life, everything that she does, to draw those children into the circle of Christ's family. Wow, well that said something to me. And so one night, uh, late at night, it was about 10 o'clock, cold night, we were sitting together um, in a, a Catholic parish a group of us, mostly evangelical pastors from Lima, we'd gone up together to understand more what was going on in this place. This is, this is crazy. We don't like this. But we wanted to find out what was causing it and what the impacts were. And as we watched the kids walk around awkwardly, we recognized there's cognitive disability going on here. There's mobility problems. There's, there's stuff going on. This is This is for real. And one of the pastors, as he reflected on this, Suddenly, in exasperation, said, good God, what if these were our kids? And Yolanda didn't miss a beat. She looked at him in his eyes and with a lot of love said, but pastor, these are your kids. And I said, praise God. And that requires me, that requires my worship to not be a song that fades as we walk out of this chapel, but rather something that stands up in the face of injustice. Well, hey, I'm a kid who grew up on the right side of the tracks. I grew up with a silver spoon in my mouth. I'm from North Dallas. We didn't even have integrated schools when I grew up, and that's pretty late, even in Texas. So I have not experienced that. So what do you call and meet? I went to Fuller Seminary. We, we do evangelism in church. What's this justice thing, Lord? In comes Yolanda. And she said, brother, what will you do? Will you help us? And I was defenseless before the Spirit of God who spoke through Yolanda on that day. Because Yolanda had recognized something that I was only beginning to learn. That because of the work of Jesus Christ, all those kids are our kids. And they're your kids too. So what will you do is the question that Yolanda brings to us. Well, we got together, a group of us, and uh, had a remarkable experience Is this short-term mission group. Has anyone told you that short-term mission groups are always ineffective, that they don't do anything, that they just get in the way? They're wrong. Because this short-term mission group came from Columbus, Ohio, brought a couple of lead care analyzer kits. I didn't know what that was. Well, they showed us they could do a a random sampling for 100 kids, and they showed that 97% of them had lead poisoning many of them so bad that they needed to be hospitalized. Well, they took that news back and they published that finding in North American Toxicology. Any subscribers to that publication here? (laughs) Yeah, me neither. I didn't even know what toxicology meant. But they published it, and things really hit the fan then. This was published, and the Centers for Disease Control and the School of Public Health of St. Louis University came and said, we want to help. We said, we have $7,000 of Presbyterian hunger money that we could use to buy a health study. And they laughed in our face and said, it'll cost about $475,000, but we'd like to do it anyway. And so we said, praise God. And so the prayer sessions that began, and we were praying with public health specialists from the United States who'd never prayed before in their lives, but they sensed God's spirit moving. We came together, and things really began to roll. That snowball that had been started by Yolanda wouldn't stop and it brought people together. News of this crisis reached 500 U.S. newspapers. CNN reported on it, National Public Radio, Christianity Today, everybody was writing about it. Even in Peru, where information is sometimes distorted, the word was carrying through and being spoken powerfully in newspapers and television shows. The Supreme Court in Peru ruled that the health ministry had to bring lead levels down. The company began to enforce, the, excuse me, the government began to enforce legislation and they've entered into negotiations with the company. The lead levels will be coming down by God's grace and we give thanks for that. The kids are a long ways from being out of the woods yet. But the first steps have been taken because of the faith of a woman by the name of Yolanda, who though she hasn't given birth to a child in her life, saw herself as a mother to 11,000 kids. And so we give thanks to God for that. Because you see, Yolanda responded to God's call to mission, redrawing the world, erasing those lines of exclusion, and inviting all to be part of God's divine y'all come. Welcome to God's Johanschik, you're called through baptism into that circle of Christ's family to go out and make a difference in the world. For kids like Angelica, who already walks with a limp because she's been exposed for too many years to the lead levels in La Arrolla. Friends, La Arrolla's kids are our kids. And that's just one little work that my wife Ruth and I were engaged in That's something that we were engaged in for about seven years in Peru. There are 200 other mission workers of the Presbyterian Church, folks who this congregation and 11,000 congregations around the United States support. We have folks working on cutting-edge work to bring Muslims and Christians together in Indonesia we have people starting new churches in central asia we've just been invited to begin a new work in north korea and we would love to partner with congregations in southern california both korean-american and otherwise to bring the good news of jesus christ through the Pyongyang institute of science and technology in north korea to many students of that elite university that's just being formed will you pray with us will you work with us will you go with us if god is calling you into a lifetime of mission, because if you're part of that circle of Jesus Christ and God's family there, you are invited in to a lifetime of mission. Friends, there's so much that wants to divide us in this world that we live in, whether it's property lines or clan lines or tribal lines, and yet the calling remains clear to us. A last picture for you. You may have heard about the violence that was done in Peru for about 15 years by the Shining Path Liberation Army. Some of you remember that. It was a bitter battle between the Shining Path and the government of of Peru's army. And people in the highlands, especially where people live, the Presbyterians live, the regions of Ayacucho and Juan Cavalica and Huancuco, in those areas where there are so many Presbyterians, the fighting was horrendous. And night after night, people didn't know if the knock on the door brought soldiers or terrorists who had come to take someone in their family away. And you know what happens in those situations? Whatever those societal fracture lines that divide the Hatfields from the McCoys, before the violence hits, violence only intensifies, magnifies those bitternesses and those problems across family and ethnic lines. Well, Pastor David Pumakawa, a Presbyterian minister high up in the Andes Mountains, a Quechua speaker who stumbles in his Spanish and has no English, when he tells you about the work of reconciliation, it's a powerful thing. He did something for us. He brought together his congregation and the lines of division in that congregation were massive because every family in that congregation had lost at least one member to the violence. Maybe it was the shining path that came in one night and took a member of their family because they had not collaborated with them before. Or maybe it was the government coming in the next night to say who collaborated with The Shining Path and took away a member of the family for torture or to disappear them. Well, those fracture lines had divided that community and everyone in the circle had a good reason to hate somebody else in that church family. But in that context, David Pumakawa came And he takes scripture. He gathers us into a circle, takes scripture and put it down. He said, sisters and brothers in Christ, what is the primary task of a disciple of Jesus Christ? There's an awkward silence. And finally someone said, to walk closer to Jesus. And he said, then let's do so. So all of us in that circle took one step closer to the living word. He said, what happened to you in relationship to your neighbor? That was a really awkward silence. And finally, it was a kid who said, we got closer to our neighbor. And David said, words that I'll never forget, he said, to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, every day you must take a step closer to the living word and come closer together with your neighbor. My prayer for us, sisters and brothers, is that we could begin to live our lives in a way that gives honor and glory to Jesus Christ because we're reaching out our hands towards God day after day and joining closer together with our neighbors. May God richly bless you as you continue to carry this word out of this sanctuary into the world that God so loves. Amen.
4: Thank you, Hunter. Bless your brother. Thank you, both. Uh, He's good for a tall guy, that's really uh, good. Great word. How true of being able to uh, connect together and as a beautiful imagery of uh, our children as we move closer to the Lord, closer to each other. You know, we are a big spiritual extended family uh, with all the churches, not only around the world, but here in L.A. You know, we, like all families, have some crazy extended family members that are out there, but they're still our brothers and sisters as we come together. Do we, is it possible to get the slide, Naticia, of our partners? Do we have that up here? Just to be able to show our, uh, the, you know, we're trying to make this the greatest city. For Christ, you're going to see some of these people out here. You know, I wanted you to pick out one of those people of our new members and pray for them the next two weeks. I want you to pick out one of these up here. These are our partners as well as not just churches but ministries here in the city. It's going to take the whole church to reach the whole city, and as I want you to be praying for them, finding out about them, supporting to the end that Christ is glorified in this. We're in a moment about ready to do another act of worship, and that is our offering before the Lord. There's a special offering this morning. If L.A. were the greatest city for Christ, one thing it wouldn't have were the homeless capital. And of course, with, uh, as well as the Union Rescue and L.A. Rescue, which just celebrated their 75th year as others, and imagine L.A. trying to adopt these children to get off the street. You know, we're also the gang capital of the United States, more gang members here than any other city. We're doing a new venture of working with uh, Cloud and Fire, our ministry as well as others of taking gang members who are getting it together, sending them to our partners in the Congo. In the Congo, over five million people were killed in the tribal wars there. I remember being in the car with one of our pastor friends, James, and he said, here is where my car got stuck. I said, on what he said, on the bodies of the people that had been killed from the other tribes. And yet those pastors came together, 1,500 of them, to learn how to bring peace. We're taking these gang members and working with others, sending them to the Congo for five to six months to learn peacemaking, and sending them back to LA to help step across these lines. Very, very challenging, wonderful stuff can come out of this. Two little envelopes. One is the white one there of your regular giving, the other is if you want to help in this called peace journey. But you know, remember, as we give to the Lord is an act of saying, God, thank you. You have so blessed us in so many ways. And I want to say a thank you again to uh, Hunter and for the work for Presbyterians, what they do around the world for the cause of Christ. <laughs> you know, all you hear is the bad stuff, all the fighting going on, not the great stuff going on. But at this time, if our ushers would come forward to receive the tithes and offerings of God's people, Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. If you can't give it in a good mood, give it to me, and I'll give it in a really good mood that way. Let's pray for this. Father, as we have been blessed so much, God, even those of us who are trying to make bills and running up our credit cards, God, and it's tough in some ways, compared to our brothers and sisters around the world, we live in a bubble, God. And I pray that, Lord, out of that bubble, those who have, give them the wisdom to give generously. Those who have not, help them to help you, honor you with what they have, not what they don't have. But Lord, I pray we'd reach out. In the end, may people say not what just a great church, but what a great Savior. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen.